Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 21. And uh, we are continuing the Follow Me series, the study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. We find ourselves in Matthew 21 this morning. When you get there, stand up with me. We're going to read uh, beginning in verse 23, and we're going to see the Lord has some great things in store for us this morning. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 23, it says, And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it amongst themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the great things that you have in store for us. For we know that when our Bibles are open, that you are ready to speak, Lord. May we have ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. Lord, help us to not only hear your word, but help us to apply it in our lives, Lord. Help us to be transformed this morning by the renewing of our minds. Lord, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be more like you. We want to have the fruit of the kingdom of God oozing out of our lives, Lord. And so we come this morning. We ask you to do the work that only you can do. Sanctify us, Lord. Save us. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, this isn't new news to you, but... We have an epic problem with authority in our world today. Anybody agree with that? We have an epic problem, man. It's kind of twofold, really. We have people that are abusing authority, and then we have people that are rebelling against authority. So we've got a couple things going on there. What that tells us is that there is a, the reality is the human heart has a love-hate relationship with authority. Uh, we love it when we have it and we can exercise it, but we hate it when someone else has it over us and exercises authority over us. Is that true? L- let's let's kind of uh, illustrate that a little bit. I, I want to start with a couple true or false questions. Hey, we're in church, so you've got to be honest because God knows. So here, true or false, I love being able to tell others what to do. True or false, that would be true. That would be true. If, you're not, if you didn't say true, you're a liar. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. These are subjective questions. Maybe in this moment you're saying that, but, but, but here's the, really the, 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 the kicker. This will tell the truth. I hate when people tell me what to do, true or false. That would be true to, to a large degree, right? Especially as an adult. There is something about adults in authority that when people come to you and they, they, they exercise authority on you, Tell me that you don't stand up, in your heart at least. That you're not kind of like taken back by that. That, that the flesh doesn't want to come out in that moment because it does. The flesh is warring with authority. It hates authority. Why? Because all authority comes from God. Romans chapter 13 verse 1b, it tells us that. It says, from there, it, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. God is the author of of authority. He instituted it and he uses it in our daily lives. You know, every one of us has uh, some level of authority that we exercise on a daily basis and we also are subject to some level of authority. God has used that in our lives and he is using you and other people's lives to express who he is. Really, the rebellion against authority that we see in our world today is a rebellion against God. It's a rebellion against the author of life. People do not want to submit to him. And even though we here this morning are desiring to submit to him, 
we find it difficult, don't we? In certain aspects of our lives, we, we find it difficult because the human heart has a problem with authority. Well, I think it's crucial that we understand authority if it's from God and, and He institutes it and we're, we're going to experience it on a daily basis, either exercising or submitting to it both in both ways, that we have some understanding of authority as it relates to the Bible, what God says about authority. My, the title of my message this morning is Authority Rules. Authority Rules. There are rules to authority. When God instituted uh, authority, there are rules that... that he instituted along with it. And whether we're exercising or surrendering, there are certain rules that we must follow. I want to show you some of them in this passage here this morning. Rule number one, if you're taking notes, make sure you have the authority that you think you have. Make sure you have the authority that you think you have. Look at verse 23 here. And when he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? <laughs> Jesus answered them. I also will tell you one, uh, ask you one question. If you tell me uh, the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. And he asked them the question about the baptism of John. Uh, the baptism of John, where did, I, where did it come, from heaven or from man? And they discussed it amongst themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Do I have any office fans in, in the house this morning? The, 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 the whatever series, The Office, it's, it's not really happening anymore, No. Nobody even knows what I'm talking about, so this will make zero sense, but that's okay. All right, so if you're familiar with a guy named Dwight Schrute, I have a little picture of Dwight up here. And, uh, you know, Dwight, if, you, if you've ever worked with a guy like Dwight, then you'll know that he is the type of guy that exercises power that he doesn't have. You can see on his name tag here that he's the assistant to the regional manager, but he always calls himself the assistant regional manager. You see, he's the assistant to the, it would be like saying, uh, you know, I'm the assistant to the CEO, but then, then you come around and you're telling everybody that you're the assistant CEO. You see the difference? There's a, there's a power struggle, there's a difference in authority uh, when you're assistant to somebody and then you are the assistant of something, right? So, so he is the type of guy that is running around the office like he is in uh, running the show and he is in not, in fact, running the show at all. Not at all. He's the assistant to the regional manager. The real authority is his boss, Michael, the regional manager. He's the guy that has the power. This is much, the religious leaders are very much like Dwight Schrute's. They are assistants to the regional manager, Jesus Christ. They are not in control. They are simply to take the things that God had said and implement them in the office. They are not in, in, in the temple. They are not to make the rules. They're simply to take what Jesus said, what God said in his word, and they're to institute it in the temple. But what did they do? They started to make their own rules. That's the problem. Uh, they went beyond their authority. You know, uh, note to self, make sure that you have the authority that you think you have. Make sure you have the authority that you think you have. I see Christians exercise all kinds of authority that goes beyond the authority that Christ has given them. When we start to dictate in somebody's life what liberties they can have, that's going beyond the authority that Christ has given you as a Christian. Yes, you have authority from Jesus. Don't abuse it. Don't over-exercise it. Also, don't under-exercise it. We'll see why in a minute. Make sure you have the authority that you think you have before you open your mouth. Make sure it's the Spirit of God speaking and not your flesh. I can tell you that many, many Christians push people away from Christ by abusing their authority rather than loving them into the kingdom of God. And we, we all have, have experienced this. The religious leaders could have avoided this whole situation had they abided to authority rule number one. Make sure you have the authority that you think you have. They don't have the authority to question the author of life. 
They don't have the, they don't have the authority to, 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 to begin to ask Jesus, well, you know, by what authority is he doing these things? He's already demonstrated by what authority. He has healed the lame, the sick. He has given uh, life to those who were dead. He has restored sight to the blind. He has restored hearing to the deaf. He has done all kinds of miracles to demonstrate the authority that he has on earth. He even said to the paralytic man, your sins are forgiven. You remember that the religious leaders had a major problem with that. And they said, who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus said, exactly. Exactly. I am God in the flesh. I can forgive sins. I have the authority to forgive sins. They claim that, uh, you know, he was operating in the power of Beelzebub, the power of the devil. Why? Because they didn't like what he was doing. He was ripping down their, their little temple, their, their, their idolatry that was happening in, in, in Israel there. And they didn't like that. They should have known by the fact, by the things that Jesus was doing, that he was actually the Messiah. Remember when John the Baptist was in prison and he, he, sa- he sent some of his disciples to Jesus and he asked, are you the one or should we be looking for somebody else? Are you the one? Or, you know, and here's Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. He said, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus didn't answer the question by saying, you don't have to look any further. He simply said, look at what I'm doing. Why? Because his acts were demonstrating the authority that he had. Who else can do these kinds of things except for a messenger from God? Someone that has been given the authority. If they believe that all authority came from God. So if, if, if all authority came from God and they saw the kind of things that Jesus was doing, two and two equal four. I don't care what kind of math you're doing except for in Common Core. You know, our public school systems. It, it doesn't, you can make it, you know, whatever you want. But not in God's world. The demonstration of the miracles that Jesus was doing was sending a message to everybody around. The the prophecies were being fulfilled that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew this, and yet they rejected it. They rejected him as Messiah. Just to set the stage for you, if you're coming in partway with us, Jesus, it's Tuesday of Passion Week right here. In just a few days, Jesus is going to hang on the cross the, the religious leaders this, this week, is going to, he's going to amplify their anger. He's going to get them upset because he is going to express authority, uh, you know, before them that they don't like. Just a day prior on Monday of Passion Week, Jesus went into the temple and he cleansed it. He cast out the buyers and the sellers. He's, he, cle- he cleansed the Lord's house and he said, listen, my father's house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. You've made God's house something that it shouldn't be. And so he cleansed it for the second time there in three years. Three years he cleansed the temple twice. When he came in the second time, you would have think that the religious leaders, if they had the authority that they thought they had, that they would have stopped him from doing it. They did nothing. They let him do it because they knew that he was expressing authority that he had. He did have the authority to do what he was doing. So they didn't stop him. And so now they come to him. It's Tuesday. Jesus just passed the fig leaf on the way, uh, the fig tree on the way into the temple. And remember, Peter said, well, remember that fig tree that you cursed yesterday on Monday? There it is. It's withered. Tuesday morning, he walks by it. He points it out. Jesus, that's a representation of, of a God is, in fact, rejecting Israel. They're going to wither away. They're, Israel is going to be destroyed. They will no longer be a nation. And that would be the case until the reestablishment of Israel. The Lord would prophesy that as well. And then at that point, this generation shall not pass away until we see the Son of Man. So, you know, as Israel gathered and they re, it were reinstated, that point in time started the prophetic clock for the, the last week of the 70-week prophecy in Daniel. 
And that's where we are today. The clock is ticking. Jesus could come back at any moment, folks. That's why it's so important that we listen to what he's saying because I fear that we could become just like, or if the church isn't already, just like Israel was when Jesus was addressing them right here, unbelieving. They did not believe in Jesus Christ. Oh, they, they say they weren't, were waiting for the Messiah, but they didn't even recognize the signs of the Messiah. They rejected him. They ask him by, he, he's teaching in the temple now. They, they, they come to him and they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Listen, this is a disingenuous question. It's a disingenuous question. If somebody walks up to you and, and they say to you, so you're a Christian, huh? Well, tell me what you believe about marriage. Uh, your antenna should go up right then and there. That just right off the cuff, is probably a disingenuous question. They're not asking you because they desire to know. They want to argue with you. They want to tell you what they think. I love the way that Jesus handles this. He understands, you know, the, the, he understands the games that man plays. Tell me what you think. Well, tell me what you think. Well, no, tell me what you think. No, you tell me what you think. What he does is he says, listen, if you'll answer me this one question, I'll answer your question. It's not that he won't answer their question, but he will not answer disingenuous questions. He will not deal with that because there's an unbelieving heart behind it. And Christians, you ought to be wise when you're having conversations with people. You ought to be discerning whether this is a legitimate interest or they're trying to frame you in some way. We have to be worried about that in our day and age. I mean, heck, you can lose your business if you don't bake cakes for certain people, right? So we have to be careful about how we approach things. We have to be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. So what Jesus does is he turns it around on them and he says, well, you tell me the, you, you tell me the baptism of John. What he's talking about there is the ministry of John and his call to repentance for the nation. That was his ministry. He was the forerunner that, that was telling people, you know, the Messiah's coming, repent and get ready. Messiah's coming. Well, we are the forerunners of our modern-day church today. Uh, Jesus is coming back again, and we are here today telling people the same thing. Repent. Christ is coming. He's coming soon. And so, you know, Jesus was asking them, do you, you, know, do you believe it was from heaven, or do you believe it was from man? Oh, they're like, oh, my gosh, this is a tough question. Do they care about the truth in here at all? You shake your head like this. No, they don't because they don't. They don't care at all. All they care about is where the people lie and how they can sway them back to be on their side because at this point, Jesus has the crowd because he taught as someone who had authority. They were mesmerized by the teaching of Jesus Christ because he spoke with authority. In this day and age when you would go into you know, ancient synagogues and they, when they would teach the word, they would stand and they would read and then they would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this and Rabbi so-and-so says that. And they wouldn't really ever, you know, give a authoritative po position on a passage. They just talk opinions. Well, here's what this guy says. Here's what this guy says. And, and, you know, sometimes that happens in the church too where we're just regurgitating other people's information. I don't know about you, but I want to hear from the Holy Spirit. I want to hear, you know, from the Holy Spirit. And so it's important that, you know, as I'm studying, that I'm not just flipping through commentary and reading people's stuff and just putting bits and pizzas in my message. Because you deserve better than that. You want to hear from the Holy Spirit. And so I sit at the feet of Jesus and I ask him to give me a word to say. And I study the Bible. That's how we do it. Now, doesn't mean we don't use things like commentaries and whatnot because, you know, <laughs> I want to make sure that I'm going down the right road on things. And, and so it's a, good, it's a good check. It's a good check. And when you're reading the Bible, the same thing. Don't flip open the commentary first. Pray. Ask God to give you the understanding. You have the same teacher. The guy that wrote the commentary has, his name is the Holy Spirit, and he can show you. He'll, he'll lead you into all truth. So, so this is the deal that's going on here, and Jesus just turns it around on them, and he puts them in a pickle here because they rejected John's ministry, and yet the people believe that John was a prophet. So how are they going to answer this? Well, the best thing to do is say, I don't know. 
I don't know, Jesus. And by the way, that's not an incorrect question as a Christian or incorrect comment or, or, you know, answer to somebody. I don't know. It's perfectly fine. If you don't know the answer to a question, don't answer it. Don't just make something up. Make sure you say, I don't know. I don't know, but I'll find out and I'll look into it. They said, I don't know. And Jesus said, well, listen, I'm not going to tell you by the authority that I do these things. You should already know. You should already know. You're the religious leaders. You should know what the Messiah looks like. Right? They were, they were trying to exercise authority that they didn't have when Jesus was expressing the authority uh, through his works that, you know, that demonstrated the fact that he did have the authority. Rule number one, make sure that you have the authority that you think you have. Rule number two, if you're taking notes, if you don't properly exercise your authority, it will be taken away from you. Look at verse 28 there. What do you think? A man had two sons, and when he, he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which, one, which of the two did the will of the father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe in him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not, uh, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Jesus now is going to go into three parables, and he's going to teach these guys uh, you know, essentially where their heart is. He's going to show them that he, they've completely rejected, uh, you know, the Messiah. And because of that, they will now be rejected. That is the reality for anybody. You reject Jesus Christ as Messiah, as Savior, um, you know, then you reject God altogether and he will reject you. He will reject you. It's only through Christ that we can have a relationship with the Father. Only through him. And so now he moves into this very first parable of the two sons, and, and he's, he begins to tell them about, you know, the, the, this, this, this thing where one son, the first son that he goes to, he tells him, hey, go, go out in the vineyard and work. If you're a parent, you know what that's like. Yeah, no, uh-uh. Well, yeah, no, you're, you need to. He just said he expressed it, and he left it. And the guy said, no, I'm not going, but he changed his mind, and he came afterward. But the other son said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go. I'll go work. But he didn't. Jesus is making a parallel between those who responded to John's uh, message of repentance and those who didn't. That's the two sons, those who responded to John, who believed in him, and those who didn't. What Jesus is telling these guys is you're the people of authority of this day. You've been instituted with authority, but you're like the second son. God said, go work in the vineyard. The vineyard, if you look, is a picture, it's symbolic of Israel. Go work in the vineyard. You're supposed to go into Israel, and you're supposed to do the work of ministry. You're supposed to, you know, tell people about the Lord. You're supposed to be cultivating this culture of serving God and, and you know, bowing down to the Lord, worshiping the Lord, and yet you're teaching men to serve themselves. You're teaching men to be more about, you know, uh, their own self-righteousness than really about the righteousness that only God can provide. You're, you're not exercising your, your uh, authority properly, and so it's going to be taken away from you. It's going to be given over to the first son, who, by the way, said, hey, I'll go. I, I'm not going to go, but then changed his mind. I don't know how many times you, you rejected the gospel. I can tell you that I rejected the gospel multiple times in my life. I'm thankful that God allowed me a chance to change my mind. I'm so thankful that God kept putting people in my path, kept drawing me to himself through circumstances and difficulties and all these different things that God uses to draw us to himself. I'm so thankful that he gave me the opportunity to change my mind about it. And I hope you are too. Listen, there are people out there in the world today, we don't know where they are. They may be rejecting the gospel today, but there's always the opportunity for them to change their mind. God can change minds as he begins to just do the work in a, in a person's heart. And then they finally respond and say, yeah, I do accept Christ. Now I can go and work in the vineyard. I will go and I will do that. The authority that these religious leaders had, they weren't exercising properly. And so Jesus said, I'm going to remove 
the authority from you altogether. It's a sad state to be in. If you're a parent, you know that you have a certain level of authority over your children. But if you don't properly exercise that authority, if you abuse that authority, or if you, if you don't exercise it you know, enough, guess what happens? The authority will be taken away from you. You won't have a choice. The, the state will take your kids. They can do that because they have authority over you. You see, if you don't properly exercise the authority that Christ has given you, the authority that you have will be taken away from you. That's what Jesus was talking about in the parable of the talents. He was saying, if you don't go and invest your talents and try and, you know, further the gospel, that's what he's talking about. If you don't go in and and try and further the gospel in the world, even the talent that you have will be taken away from you. What he's telling us is that he didn't create bench warmers. He didn't create people to sit on the bench. Like, okay, they look like they have it handled, so I guess I'm, I'm good. I don't have to do anything. No. If you're part of the body of Christ, God created you for a specific person. I, I've been, a purpose. I've been saying this over and over again. God has something specific for you to do as it relates to the kingdom of God. What is it? That's only something you know. It's only something that you can seek out from the Lord. And sometimes that gifting that, you're, that God has placed within you takes some cultivation to get out of. It takes some pa- fasting. It takes some prayer. It takes some time to just sit at the Lord's feet, and he'll start to reveal to you what it is. What is it that God created you to do? Do you know? If you're here this morning and you're saying, no, I, I don't know, well, then begin to seek him on that. Because he didn't just create you to save you. He created you to save you, to use you, to bring himself glory. Amen. He created you for his purpose and his purpose alone. And so if you're here this morning and you're saying, man, Lord, I'm not really exercising the authority that I've been given. By the way, if you're a Christian, you have authority. You have authority in the name of Jesus. He's given you authority to express his um, his word to other people. He's given you authority, uh, you know, to bind things on heaven and, and bind things on earth. He's given you authority to speak his word with boldness. So do it. Don't shrink from it. Do it. Make sure that you're, do, you're expressing that authority that he's given you. These religious leaders, they abused their authority. They didn't use it correctly, and Jesus says it's going to be stripped from you. Rule number three, the authority you reject will become the authority that rejects you. Look at verse 33. Here's another parable. It's a parable of the talents, of the tenants, I'm sorry. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And what you want to notice here is whose fruit is it? It's not the tenant's fruit. It's the owner of the vineyard's fruit. He, he sent his servants to go to the tenants to get his fruit. It's his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent another, other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were uh, seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Have you ever been condemned by your own words? You ever been condemned by your own words? What happened here in this passage, these guys condemned themselves with their own words. Because Jesus is saying, you were the tenants. And you know what? You murdered everybody I sent you to. 
all the messengers that God sent, you murdered them. This would be the equivalent of David and Nathan, the story that you may know of where David took Bathsheba as his, you know, while he had a fling with her, and then he brought her husband Uriah home so that, because she got pregnant, and then it ended up being that he couldn't get him to sleep with her so that they could cover all this up, and so he sends him Uriah to the front lines of the battle to die. Nathan the prophet comes, uh, the Lord tells Nathan the prophet to go to, go to David and, and instructs him to say, hey, there's this guy that had a, had a, a, a goat and he, or a sheep or some kind of an animal like that. And, you know, he loved this thing. It was his pet. It was his provision. God used this thing in his life. He loved it. And when the king was going to have a banquet, um, the king went down and took that man's only source of, you know, provision and his friend, his <laughs> whatever, co-laborer on the field. I don't know what all he did there, but he took him and he slaughtered him and he offered him to his guests. And Nathan said, David, what do you think should happen to that man? That man should be killed. And Nathan looked square in David's eyes and he said, David, you're that man. You're that man. He was condemned with his own words. These guys are condemning themselves with their own words. The, re the authority that you reject will become the authority that rejects you. Jesus is saying you're not willing to hear the voice of God. God has sent you people over and over and over again, and you keep rejecting them, not only rejecting them, but you start killing them. So God does the unthinkable. He sends His Son, His only begotten Son. Surely they'll respect my Son. He sends His Son, and what's about to happen? They will crucify Him on a criminal's cross. They will frame Him. They will lie about Him. They will, they will do whatever they have to do to kill Him. What do you think the Father will do to those who have done that to their son? They responded. He will put those wretches, those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give the fruits of their seasons. It's exactly what God did. He said he is turning his, he's turning his, away from Israel for a period of time. He's not done with Israel. He'll turn back towards Israel during the judgment time of uh, the, revel, uh, the period um, of the tribulation time, the book of Revelation speaks about him turning back towards Israel, and you can see that happen. Romans chapter 11 and on speaks about that. But God is, Jesus is saying here, because you are rejecting me, the Father will reject you. He quotes Psalm 118 here that says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The stone that they rejected was the most important stone in the foundation of the temple, the cornerstone. When they were building the, the, the foundation of the temple, they started with the cornerstone. It was the standard for every other stone that would be laid on that foundation. Everything was measured by the cornerstone. Does it meet the standard? You get the picture Jesus Christ is the standard. Perfection. Every other stone, we are little stones. Every other stone will be measured by the cornerstone. Do you meet the standard to be laid upon, those, upon the rock of Jesus Christ? Well, how do you do that? I'm not perfect. Exactly. That's why Christ came. That's why his blood was shed so that you and I could be clothed with righteousness, so that we can have the righteousness of Christ. You know, it was the great exchange upon the cross where he took your sin and he died for you and, and you received his righteousness by faith. Unbelievable. The greatest gift that anybody could have ever received is the gift of Jesus Christ. Most valuable gift in the world. God gave his only son. They rejected the chief cornerstone. And because of that, Jesus is saying the baton of the authority of representing God's cause in this world will now be transferred to somebody else that will, that will produce the fruit of the kingdom of God. Who is that? It's the Gentiles. God is going to turn his heart 
to other people that should have already been hearing about God and should have been welcomed in to Judaism, should have been able to freely worship God, but they weren't because these people were a roadblock for them. These people wouldn't, they, they, they would convince you not to come to Christ, or they, not to Christ, but to, 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 the, to the Lord, to Yahweh. They convince you not to do that. Oh, all the things that you have to give up, the things that you have to do, it's so difficult. You don't want to do that. That's uh, um, definitely a no-no in Evangelism 101. <laughs> you know, th- don't do that. Christ has offered us so much. And yet these, these Jews would, uh, would sway people from not coming to, to the Father. I like what he says here. He talks about the stone. He's talking about the cornerstone here. And he says, those who fall upon the stone will be broken. Listen, there is a sweet breaking of the person that falls upon Christ, that comes to that place where they, they give their life to, God, to, to the Lord and he, he does a transforming work in their lives. He tenderizes the, the hardness of the heart. He begins to put his fruit in our lives so that we can express the fruit of the kingdom of God to the world. But it's only through breaking. Listen, when you come to Christ, if you haven't changed, then you haven't been broken. The Bible tells us that if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old has passed away. Behold, all has become new. You're a new person. Your life is transformed. You're not, you're not perfect, but you're changing. You're broken. That's what he's talking about here. There is a brokenness. And, and he says the alternative to that is for the stone to fall upon you. The stone falls upon you. It will crush you. It will crush you. He's talking about eternal damnation here. Understand the authority that you reject today will be the authority that will reject you. God's authority is being taken away from Israel and passed to the Gentiles. But again, God's not done with Israel. He'll deal with them again. Lastly, rule number four. When authority extends its hand, always accept and honor the invite. When authority extends its hand, always accept and honor the invite. This is illustrated through the parable of the wedding feast here, chapter 22, verse 1. Look at it with me. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him to the outer darkness. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus now turns to another parable, and he illustrates the rejection of Israel as a nation. They had rejected the king's invitation to come to the wedding. Listen, this was a considerable disgrace in this culture. To be invited to a wedding feast and then on the day to say, oh, no, I'm not coming. Now, you have to understand that when you were invited to a wedding, number one, it was, it was really a privilege. You didn't get to do this very often. I mean, I think we probably take weddings for granted in the way that we do them or not. This was a, a long period of, of feasting and celebrating, and, and when you were invited to that, it was like, wow, this is going to be good. Like they brought out, you know, they, they fed you good, you, you, you know, and you were able to hang out for days, so it was, an, it was an honor, it was a privilege to be invited to just a normal wedding. But imagine the wedding of the king's son. How incredible that would be to be invited to 
the king's son's wedding. Yeah, oh man, this is going to be incredible. And yet what we see is that they turned their hearts away from the king. They didn't really care about the invitation. They shunned him. They rejected his invitation. Back in this day, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know the hour in which the, the feast would be ready, but you would know the day, but you would have to be ready at all times on that day. The, you know, the, the servants would show up and they'd say, hey, the, the king has got the feast ready, let's come. So you had to be prepared. You had to be waiting and ready. You had to be waiting and ready for the feast. And yet these guys just were going about their business. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. And some of them even took the servants that the, the king sent and they, they beat them and they killed them. The ones that just came to say, hey, the king's feast is ready. You can come now. This is the picture of Israel, what they've done to the Lord. They've rejected him. They've rejected his messengers. They've killed them. And so what does he say? The king then comes in and he destroys the city. He judges them. This is a picture of what will happen in 70 AD to Israel when they will be wiped out, when this nation will crumble. Not one stone will be left upon another, Jesus said. He's telling them judgment is sure. You've rejected the invitation of the king, and because of that, judgment is coming down upon you. You're not hearing. So the king pronounces the judgment, and then he turns his invitation to the people that I like to call the whosoevers. He goes to the highways and the byways, to the good and to the bad. You know, he goes to anybody and everybody, and he says, here's an invitation from the king. He wants to invite you to this banquet. You're welcome to come. You're welcome to come. And, and, and so, you know, the, the, he, he extends this invitation. What he's saying is he's extending the invitation to anybody, to anybody willing to receive it. For God so loved the world, whosoever believes in him, the whosoevers shall not perish but have eternal life. He is offering and extending this glorious invitation to the whosoevers of the world. And so you can imagine how great that would be to be maybe somebody that, maybe you're a homeless dude, you have nothing, and yet all of a sudden you're extended a royal invitation to, to this wedding feast. How incredible is that? That's the picture of what God has done for you. You were bankrupt. You had nothing. All you had was a stack of debt that you could not pay. And God said, I'll pay for it. Here's my invitation. Just come. All you got to do is come, and I'm going to bless you, and I'll bless you immensely. You're going to have the riches of Christ upon you, but you have to respond to it. And it says here that, that the, the banquet was filled with people. They came. They were just, just tickled pink that God, that the, the, the king would invite them in, and I hope you're tickled pink that God would invite you in to the, to the feast that we will partake of with, with Jesus one day. And yet he finds that there is one there that is not wearing a wedding garment. Now, this will not happen in heaven, by the way. But this is a picture of what will happen in the church. What will happen in the church to the ones that he is turning over authority to. What he's saying is that there will be people that will show up that aren't wearing the right garment. They, they, they say they're a Christian, they look like a Christian, they quote Bible verses, they carry their Bible around, they do all of this stuff, and yet they have never truly accepted the invitation. And so they have appearance that they are something that they are not. That's the picture of this man here. He is not clothed with Christ. He is not wearing the robe of righteousness. But he's there. And he's there to enjoy all of the things that the king can offer, but he is not willing to change. He is not willing to change. He's not willing. He's, he's saying, look, I'm going to stay the same. When the king comes to question him, he doesn't even answer him. He just kind of, whatever. He didn't, he didn't say a word to him. And so the king says, hey, you can't be here. You can't be here. You're not wearing the right garments. And so he binds this man and he casts him out into outer darkness. I don't think it gets any clearer than that. 
of what happens to somebody that does not accept Christ. I don't think it gets any clearer than that. The message is this. If you don't accept the invitation of the king, you will receive the judgment of the king. Now listen, this is the downside of free will. It is the downside of free will. We all want free will. We want to freely come to God, but we don't want to be accountable to the choices that we make with our free will. Right? You can't have both. You have to have, you, ha- you, you can't have one or the other. You have to have both. It's collective. You can't separate the two. You can't say that, you know what, I get, to, I get to live my life apart from Christ all my life, and then I get to, I just get to cease to exist, or I, I, there is no hell or anything like that. It is clear in the Bible that Jesus continually says these kinds of things. Now, why does he say that? Because it's true. He's not speaking in some symbolic language. This is literal. There is, you know, you, you, by the way, you can't just start taking some things literally in the Bible and other things that you don't like, not take them literally. You know, salvation, does it come by grace through faith or not? Is that symbolic or not? It's literal. You have to take it literally. And so I say all that to say this, there, that's the reality of free will. God has given us the ability to choose the path. He, he extends his hand of invitation to us. We have the ability to reject it or receive it. But what you do with it matters. What you do with it, uh, there are repercussions for what you do with it. For those that receive it, man, you get the inheritance of of Christ. You're heirs to the throne of Christ. But for those who reject it, they will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't say that to scare you. I say that to warn you. That is the reality. There are people in the church today that are that are coming into the, to the, to the sanctuaries and they're filled with people that maybe are not clothed with Christ, that do not have the robe of righteousness on them. And the Lord would simply say today, change your mind. Change your mind today. Don't walk away from this uh, opportunity. Once again, God is extending his hand. That opportunity will go away one day. And your fate will be sealed forever in eternity. So don't walk away from it. Christ is pleading. You know what? Had these guys turned to him right here, he would have welcomed them in. They were so hard-hearted. They would not hear the truth. These are not my words. These are Jesus' words. But they wouldn't hear him either. It's a sad thing when God sends messenger after messenger after messenger to tell you something and you will not listen to him. If God continues to send the same message to you, he's trying to tell you something. So listen up. God does not long, he, he, he desires that no man would perish, but all would come into repentance, that all would turn away and turn to him. Jesus has the authority to say these kinds of things, and so do you and I. Because Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have all authority to say what I'm saying. He tells us, in his authority, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do not be like the religious leaders and the people of Israel who thought that they had more authority than they did, who didn't properly exercise the authority that they had, who rejected authority and then in turn were rejected, and who refused the invitation of the one who has all authority. Fall upon the stone this morning and be sweetly broken, lest the stone fall upon you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. You were so good to us, Lord. You're so good to us, God, that you would continually run after us, Lord. That you would pursue us relentlessly because you love us. Because you desire that no one would perish. Your heart for us, God, is evident in the things that you do for us, God. And I pray this morning that we wouldn't allow this moment to pass without responding to you. Without without following your Spirit's lead this morning and what it is that you were saying to us. You've given us authority as Christians, Lord. Are we using it? Are we abusing it? 
Are we here this morning and we're rejecting the authority of your word in our lives? We're not willing to hear what it is that you want to say to us. So you keep sending messenger after messenger and we just keep hardening our heart against you, Lord. We know, God, that this is yet one more moment you're extending your hand of grace to us. You desire for us to lay our life down if we're not in Christ. And even as Christians today, you desire for us to surrender if we're not really walking the way that we should be. So, Lord, we want to just take a few minutes at the end of this message to allow your Holy Spirit to move in us and to just draw us to yourself for salvation for some, Lord, for, for recommitment, rededication, Lord, repentance, God, for turning away from things that we ought not be doing. God, we don't want to have the heart of Israel. Protect us this morning from ourselves, Lord. If there's anyone here this morning, God, that doesn't know you, that you give them the strength this morning to come to the altar and to lay their life down at your feet and to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need Christ. He died and rose for me again. And I'm here making a declaration that I am turning away from my sin and I'm turning to you. Forgive me, God. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. For those that are have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, Lord, you're calling them this morning to just get realigned with you fully. They would lay down their life as living sacrifices for you, God, as your ambassadors, not abusing or not using your authority at all, but being in balance with it, Lord. We pray that you would move in this place this morning. Draw us to yourself. Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.